So last week, as we are working through Mark, I, I shared my own struggle with the, the fact that Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to be compassionate and that I don't feel like I'm very compassionate at times and that we all are hopefully at that place. Um, I'll throw myself under the bus though. But I recognize that that compassion that Jesus models for us is inspiring and yet at times when I see that compassion and I want that and I want to live into it, I still am conflicted with that pride. And I shared about how there's a new swimming pool in Oceanside and I was like, am I going to share this with, new, with everybody else or am I going to keep this my little secret? And I think that's sometimes the thing that we discover in Christ is that we discover this new life and we're like, I'm just going to keep this for myself. I'm going to keep it a secret. Like, it's great for me, but I don't know if it's good for everybody else and so I'm just going to kind of keep it quiet. Um, and, and I... I need to break my, myself of that, <laughs> that pride that exists. And so um, we're going to continue because the healing that took place there, um, there's another healing here that's about to happen. This is one of my favorite passages. Is it okay to have a favorite passage? I don't know. Um, they're all good, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> um, but this story and what happens in it as we were about to read, um, it just it just captures my imagination of like who Jesus is, what the kingdom of God looks like, and in just very beautiful ways. And so uh, I'm just, I'm excited to read in and dig into it. And hopefully um, it's, it's fresh and new for you guys as we unpack it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to read it here in a second. We're going to talk about Dave Grohl. We're going to have some communion at the end. And hopefully after all of that, you just, you get this new perspective of who Jesus is as a result of our time. So um, let's dig into it. Uh, So we're in Mark chapter 2, and it's verses uh, 1 through 7. And I'm calling this four nameless friends, okay? And you'll see why in a little bit. But these four nameless friends, like those those three words of those four people are very crucial, okay? Um, Four nameless friends. So... A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat he was, the, uh, the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it goes on and says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, grumbling and complaining, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I want to just let you know this message is going to tie into next week because obviously it keeps going. The conversation is even further, but we're going to talk about the first part. Four nameless friends, okay? Jesus heals this paralyzed man as a result of these four nameless friends who dig through the roof and then do whatever they can to bring their friend to Jesus. And I just think it's interesting that there's a crowd sitting there and I don't know how much I'm allowed to like read into scripture, but I'm going to do some of that. And if you're not okay with that, then let's talk about it at Life Group this week. I'm into that. Um, but there's such a large crowd there. 
that these guys are having to dig through a roof to get their friend to Jesus. So think about that scenario. Think about the four nameless friends that are there, and they're nameless for a reason, which is awesome, which I think is another little subtle nuance that's driven into that. Um, They are so convinced that they need to rip the roof off of someone's house. We don't know whose house this is. Rip the roof off in order to get their friend to Jesus, okay? So you don't rip a roof off for no reason at all. You rip a roof off when you know something's going to happen, right? I would think. Like, we'll get to that in a second, but it's still there. The roof's there. They do everything they can because they just know that Jesus is going to do something, and then Jesus sees how persistent they are and does something. Think about that. Okay, so like four guys get together and they're like, they, ha- they had to have had discussion prior to ripping the roof off, right? You don't just rip a roof off like, hey, let's do this. You know, like there had to have been like, should we do this? Like, yeah, let's do this. We know what Jesus can do. You know, like there had to have been some more stuff going on than just uh, like how Mark just rolls through. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people, so they had to rip the roof off. And naturally, you just bring them to Jesus and that's what he does. There's so much going on there, right? Like, I think... I think we can read between the lines and, and see that there had to have been some passion, some like, guys, let's get together. Johnny's been this way for a long time. Like, we need to do something. This is a guy we've heard can do some amazing stuff. Let's go and let's bring him. Let's like put him on a mat. Let's take him up there. They had to have climbed up on the roof, right? I would think. There had to have been some like, I don't know, a shovel, a, a pick. I don't know. Like, but they were digging through this person's roof to bring him to Jesus. They did whatever they could crowd, that's a whole nother element, right? So there's so many people there listening to Jesus' teaching. It says that the room, like I picture this room, like if he was somewhere sitting here just preaching, doing his thing like I am right now, like it would be so packed that people like would have to like gather in outside, right? Like they're in the hallways. They're all just like, they're making it so inaccessible for this guy to get there but they're sitting there quietly. They're head nodding. They're like, mm-hmm, I see what you're saying there, Jesus. That's good. <laughs> Sounds great. We should talk about that a little more. Maybe later this week at Life Group. You know, like, they're all just sitting around listening, and I don't, I don't want to get too judgmental of the crowd, but the crowd doesn't allow for a paralyzed man to get to Jesus. There's a little element there, right, of like, they're all so into like, we're just listening, you know, like we got to check out this Jesus guy that someone who's truly in need isn't able to get in, right? Like, couldn't they have just taken him on his mat through the crowd to Jesus? I don't know, am I overthinking this? But think, but just process with me. Like, if someone was up front here that had that kind of capability and there were so many people in this room and outside, don't you think that some people would be like, yeah, let the paralyzed through, like, we know Jesus can do something. Let him through. Let's bring him on up. We don't need to rip the roof off. But yet, all these people are like, no, 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 no. You can't come in here. Like, we're listening. We're having a Bible study right now. Like, don't come into this situation as, as if you are somehow better than the rest of us. Which I think also speaks to this fact that I think sometimes, I know personally, I'm not throwing any guilt on anybody. But we can get to this place where we keep some people out of the church that really need Jesus because we're there to get 
theological. We're there to really just have some meaningful dialogue about Scripture and whatever it is. Right? Like, I know how that can be. Like, we can get so intent and so focused. And I think about even my week at times, like how much of my time is invested in my personal growth, my understanding of Scripture, my, my intellectual side of my faith. How much of my week gets invested in that as opposed to, oh wait, there's a paralyzed guy outside that needs to get into Jesus. And I'm totally missing the fact that like, because I'm so into like the Jesus moment. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Like I need to learn more. That's a good nugget, right? Of like what Jesus is teaching rather than going like, that's a great nugget, but I see this person out here and these four guys are trying to get their friend to him. Like, and I'm in the way because I'm so intellectual right now, Right? I'm not, saying, I'm not downplaying intellectualism, okay? I'm just saying, like, we can get so caught up in the, like, the thinking and processing of Jesus that we miss the fact that there's a paralyzed guy that could get to him and get healed. So the four nameless friends, I think, are key. These four nameless friends, they're not like, we're going to talk about the Greek and the Hebrew about this right now. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up our buddy, we're going to rip the roof off, and we're going to get him to Jesus. Like, that's all we're going to do. Like, this is problem solved. And then what does Jesus do? He does it. Like he actually follows through with the thing that he's there teaching about probably, which is so awesome. Like, and I just get giddy about that, like thinking about this is the kind of Jesus that we worship. This is the God that we worship. That like, sure, he's probably cool with the crowd listening, but he was like, whoa, look at these guys, right? Like imagine the roof starting to get picked off right now and somebody's like, oh, bring him into Jesus. Like we got to pray over him. Like some amazing thing's going to happen. And Jesus heals him. Jesus does the thing that, and here's the interesting thing. Why? Why does Jesus heal this paralyzed man? What is the response? You can cheat. No, it's not on the screen anymore, but you can cheat in your own Bible. It says he saw their faith. He saw their excitement, Right? He saw how pumped up they were about the fact that God in flesh and blood was sitting there in front of them. And he was like, this I can work with. And in, in our like, little Bible study process, like, I think it was Matt or Chris who brought it up, they were like, they basically matched, like Jesus matched their energy. Like their energy was like, this can happen, we're doing it, we're ripping the roof off, bringing them to Jesus. And Jesus was like, yep, that's what I'm about and met them where they're at, met the energy that they have. And I, I'm, again, I'm going to say, like, I think sometimes my energy is, like, down here, like, at a 2, when it should be at a 10. Like, these four nameless friends were at a 10. No? 11, right? This one goes to 11, okay? I'm at, like, a 2 sometimes, I think. Like, maybe I'm too hard on myself. But I think, like, what if our energy was the level of these four nameless friends where we're like, yes, I know that God can do some stuff, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but we need to get them to them and see what happens, right? Like, and Jesus matches their energy. And I don't know if you guys have heard this story that's happened recently. Matt told me about it, and I was like, yes, this is beautiful. Um, but um, so Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters, raise your hand if you know who that is. All right. His face is on the screen along with this little girl, Nandy Bushel, which um, is apparently a big deal on YouTube and um, like put out tons of videos during quarantine and challenged Dave Grohl to a drum battle. <laughs> she's 10. She's 10 and she's like shreds. Like I was watching videos, like my girls were watching it too. They're like, 
is that real? Like, is she really playing that? Or is that just like the track and she's pretending? Like, no, that's her playing. She shreds, okay? And, um, and so I guess during quarantine, she challenged him and said, I challenge you, Dave Grohl, to a drum battle. And so he describes the scenario of how this all unfolded. I'll show you guys the video so you guys can hear it from the Jesus-looking man himself. Here you go. <laughs> Check it out. There might be a bad word. There's no kids in here, right? Tell me how it came okay, about. She was already playing Foo Fighter songs online? Yeah, I think about a year ago, um, Nirvana's producer, Butch Vig, sent me uh, a link to her Instagram where she was playing a Nirvana song. Okay. She was playing our song, In Bloom. And I mean, she's 10 years old. You know, she's this big, she's tiny, and she's just beating the crap out of her drum set. And when she does drum rolls, she screams. So not only is she playing all the parts perfectly, but when she does a drum roll, she's like, ah! So he sends this to me, I'm like, oh my God, this, this kid is a force of nature, and she's an amazing drummer. And it was, hey, this kid's challenge playing up into a drum battle. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? And I watched it, she was playing a Foo Fighters song, Everlong, and uh, at the end she goes, I challenge you to a drum battle. And I thought, that's adorable. And then I get another text, and another text, and another text from all of my friends saying, dude, you need to step up and respond to this. Like, you have to represent. Don't be a whip. Like, do this. So I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll play something simple and send it to her. One day later, she comes back with her response, and she just wipes the floor. This kid is, like, <laughs> kicking my butt at the drums. So we went back and forth with this drum battle. It got to the point where, I mean, I, I just, I, sometimes you just have to concede defeat. We, we, and we, here I was. We have we have a clip, I think. We have a clip of you. I don't know if you're playing together or you're playing over her or she's playing over you, but we've got this clip. Jim, hit it. That is beautiful. Yeah, she smoked you. There's nothing I could do. She smoked I mean, it was, you. It was literally, it was like being called out by the school bully. She's getting called out. I love it. And so this little 10-year-old girl from the UK just, like, challenges him. And he's, he's a big deal, right? Like, he is, he could have just been like, yeah, I don't have time for that. But he matched her energy, right? He was like, she's fired up. How many other people probably play Foo Fighters songs in their room, like, rocking out and are like, there's no way this guy would care about me, you know? But she's like, I'm going for it. I'm going to send him a video. And, like, and he matched it. Like, he could have easily ignored her, but he had that humility to be like, I'm going to bring this on stage because this is the next level. So the photo that I screenshot here because I don't watch the whole thing, but he brings her on stage at a concert and she just crushes it. Like, it's amazing. And, um, and so the humility of him who's like, rock star, you know, like another status to say, I'm going to match your energy. I'm going to like, I want to rock with you. I want to do this. And, um, and you can't really see it very well, but there's somebody holding a cell phone there. And I'm sure there was thousands of other people holding cell phones there that were amazed at what happened there. And I'm sure there was other people in the crowd that were watching and critiquing going, why does she get to do it? Why don't I get to, you know? And going like, maybe we should, uh, we should talk about this a little more because uh, that's pretty lame that she gets special, you know, whatever, consideration that I do and all this other stuff. But there's other people that had their cameras out that shared it because there's a million videos of this scenario 
um, online because they were like, this is awesome. Do you see this? And like matched their energy and wanted to share with everybody else and wanted everybody else to hear like how beautiful of a situation this was and share with everybody, right? And this is the scenario that I see here with Jesus. Because at the end of the passage, you see there's people that were naysayers, right? There's people that were like, lame, like, <laughs> they broke the roof, look what he did, like, now we got to fix it, you know? Like, how many of us, like, if someone came in and ripped the roof off right now, we'd be like, I hate drywall, like, I hate painting, you know how big of a hassle that is to, like, go through and tape it and, and totally, yeah, we have a hole up there, right there, someone tried, um, Someone tried to rip it off, and I, I keep trying to duct tape it and just cover it up. I'm like, I hate drywall and painting. It's so tedious. But the, the Pharisees, they're there to, like, critique it and be like, who's this guy to, like, you know, claim that, like, he can forgive sins and heal people and do all this stuff? Instead of being like, do you see what just happened? Like, we should have been filming this and sharing this with everybody we possibly can because I guarantee you there's people that left that concert talking about it and shared around a dinner table, like, you wouldn't believe what Grohl did at this concert with this little kid and how awesome it was, right? I hope there's people in that crowd that walked away and went, the four nameless friends, I don't even know who their names are, but they were awesome. They ripped the roof off, they brought them to Jesus, and it made it happen, and they were like, and Jesus met their energy and was like, yeah, let's do this, drum battle, you know, like, let's go. And healing took place, reconciliation, reconciliation took place, like, new life took place, all because of these four nameless friends that said, no, we're going for it. We're going to charge into this, and we're not going to back down. And so, I get a little excited about this because the restoration that you see in this guy's life is the kind of restoration many of you have experienced in your own lives. Um, maybe it's not as drastic. Maybe you didn't go from being paralyzed to now walking, but you've seen how God can transform your life. And if you haven't seen it personally in your life, you're sold on it the way I am because you've seen somebody else's life transformed by Jesus and what Jesus can do to begin to fully restore somebody, not just physically, but spiritually, that's a little dip into next week's sermon. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about the physical and the spiritual. But the physical is what happens right now, which then I think ultimately then impact the spiritual because what Jesus says to him is your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say be healed and walk, right? He doesn't say any of that. So he talks about sin and everybody gets angry because they're like, what, he forgives sin? What's that all about? And so you got to remember in that culture, if you had physical ailments, it was probably as a result of prior sin. That's their mentality. It was like, what did you do wrong to deserve this? Kind of a karma kind of thing, but on the other side of like, you must have done something bad. You must have, your family must have sinned in some really bad way that now you're paralyzed and now you're having to face this life. So this is your lot in life. We don't believe in that, right? We believe as Jesus followers, and what Jesus models there is restoration, new life. Whether you believe that guy, whether he did sin in some major way in his past or his family did, who cares? We're going to restore and we're going to bring healing, new life. That's what he's all about. That's what I get excited about. And that's what you see Jesus doing is this restoration in his life, bringing new life to that situation, and probably a lot of other people that were watching. And now, this person's completely set free. I wonder how many times we miss the point in 
seeing a situation where Jesus is doing something beautiful and we're caught up doing our own thing, caught up looking at other things, caught up in our own spirituality, whatever it is, rather than going, oh, this person needs Jesus right now and there's some healing they need. The four nameless friends, they got it. They're nameless. We don't need to know their name because they're so humble. No one, they weren't like, hey, it's me, Mark. I'm, one of the, I'm the third guy that brought him up. You know, it was just straight like, we don't need our names in there. We just want to see him healed. We want to see transformation. We want to see restoration happen. That's what Jesus is all about. In Colossians 1, 17 through 20, if you want to read Colossians, it's beautiful. Um, chapter 1 will rip your face off. Um, but it really kind of gets at the core of like who we are and what Jesus is doing, if you want like a condensed version of that. Um, and I'm just going to give you the two lines that really stand out. I really encourage you to read the rest of it. But um, in him, all things hold together is part of it. In Jesus, all things are held together. And you might say, well, this paralyzed guy, that he, Jesus wasn't holding him together very well, right? Like, or my life, like I've, I've brokenness in my life. I have things that I've done wrong. And Jesus isn't holding that together. What's going on? He's not saying this world is perfect. He's saying we have free will to do things. And as a result of that, there's fallenness, there's brokenness, there's pain, there's hurting all around us, right? That's not, that's not Jesus' fault. Let me just say that right off the bat. Like, that's not Jesus. Like, he, that's not his intention. That wasn't the, the way he created things in the beginning. That's the brokenness that we see around us. But he holds things together in a way that says, I want to bring restoration to life. Um, that in him all things were created, but yet there's still a choice. You, he's not ever forcing anybody to do anything. And the four nameless friends, they understood that, right? They're like, there's a broken world. Our friend is broken. Like, we see the suffering that he's going through. We know that Jesus can do, bring the healing, so let's bring him to him. So Jesus never forces any kind of, like, way on us, but gives us the opportunity to have that kind of energy, that kind of focus, that kind of intentionality about our lives to say God is the source of all of it. And it goes on in verse 20, it says, to reconcile to himself all things. He's making all things new. And what we see in Jesus and what the invitation, and I'm sure what he was preaching about as he sat in that room, was come to me, you'll experience life to the full. Come to me, you get to be part of this restoration pro project that I'm doing here. You get to be part of this. Like you can choose to do things your own way, the destructive way, the, the selfish way, or you can come and be part of my kingdom because my kingdom is about loving our neighbor, is about putting others before ourselves. My kingdom's about beginning to usher in like this beautiful way of life, this way that I design things to be. And that's what we see these four friends living out. We get to become these ambassadors, which it talks about in there as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. This reconciliation is what the four friends understood. They understood that they get to be Christ's ambassadors. They get to go and bring people to Jesus. They get to like rip the roof off, do whatever it takes physically, the physical work, right? Um, they may have had to pay for the roof. I don't know. It might have cost them some money. Um, it cost them their time. They could have been doing anything that evening. 
right? They could have been watching Netflix all evening if they wanted. I know what that's like. But they chose to take their time, money, and effort and help their friend get to Jesus. I'm convicted of that because I think about like, how much, like, how much do I live into being one of the four nameless friends? How much do I live into that, like, and just say, like, this evening our friend needs Jesus and let's do whatever it takes to go help him and I'm going to put aside my agenda and I'm going to go bring him to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Um, we can be silent observers or we can be people who rip the roof off. We can silently listen to the Bible study, talk about it, get into the Greek and the Hebrew, get into all these little like nuances of like how we should live it out. But really, like these guys are like, we don't need to debate about how, how to live this out. Let's go just bring, bring our buddy to Jesus. Like that's, that's the source. That's what we need to do. And, um, and I think too often it's easy as, even as a church, I think sometimes we do a disservice in creating space to be silent observers rather than active participants who rip the roof off. Um, it's why we have to have like food distribution in our community. It's why we have to have a continual investment in like what we do in Haiti. It's why we have to have space in our week where we just say, I'm going to invite somebody over for dinner. I'm going to like give my time and my energy to some other people other than myself. Um, we just have to have that built into who we are or else we'll default to silent observer that goes, yeah, that was cool. Good job, Jesus. You know, and then like, when's the next Bible study? Where do we get to sit and listen some more? You know, when are you going to teach again? Can we follow you to the next town? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, don't follow me to the next town. I want you to stay here. You see what happened to the paralyzed guy? Like, let's, let's do that sort of thing. Um, so we get to be ambassadors. We get to be the people who, who live this out, which is awesome. We get front row seats to people getting healed. Um, but we just have to rip the roof off. We have to be those kind of people that are like willing to jump into that. And so I guess I want to like jump back to the beginning of the sermon and just say like the friends, the four nameless friends, they do everything in their power to bring their friend to Jesus. And I wrote that in a certain way, hopefully poetically, I don't know, to the best of my ability. The friends, they were friends first of all, right? They were a community of people that got together. They had to have had enough relationship and enough understanding that Jesus had potential to do something crazy in their friend's life. So think about that. Do we have friends? Do we have people around us where we work together in fours? I don't know. Maybe it's five, six, like whatever it takes. Um, are, we, are we bound to other people that are like, hey, this other friend of ours needs Jesus. Let's work together. Let's collaborate. Let's do whatever we can to come together to be the friends of the paralyzed man. Um, they're nameless, so there's a sense of humility, right? Again, they're just, we just know that our friend needs Jesus. It doesn't matter if I get the credit or not. Let's, let's bring him. And then this final part of like they do everything in their power to bring him to Jesus. And that's what brings us to communion. And what I want to close with is because I believe that, again, what Jesus does is when he sits with his disciples in the upper room and he broke the bread and he took the cup, it was all about reminding them and saying, do this over and over to be reminded that you get to be a participant in what it means to usher in the kingdom of God, that you get to eat this blood or eat this bread, this body, you get to ingest it. You get to be part of it. You get to be a participant in this, and you get to drink this cup 
that is continually going to remind you that we get to be part of it. So I want to show you a couple of passages if you're like, I don't know, I've never heard this before, I've never taken communion before. But Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, as he's talking to these believers, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. And so there's a sense of examining ourselves and going, are we one of the four friends or are we in the crowd watching and critiquing and saying, yeah, that was lame. Do it better next time, Jesus. You know, like, step up your game. Um, are we going to be naysayers, critiquers, or are we going to be participants? Are we going to be people that just really step into it? So this is, when we take communion, we need to reflect. We need to assess. Do I, am I really willing to participate? Um, and it's okay if you're not. That's, there's no judgment. Um, but if you are, this is the reminder that we're participants, that we are in the game. We're, we're saying, I want to be part of what you do, Jesus. I want to be part of this redemption project, this restoration project, this new life project that you're doing. Um, and so that's what the bread and the, the cup is all about. And so um, Jesus, when he sat with his disciples um, in the upper room, this is what he told them. Read this last passage here. He says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is why we take one loaf, um, the symbolic idea of like us being the body of Christ. Um, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. The covenant that says, I want to be, I want to bring this into everybody's life. Um, restoration all around which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. It's poured out for many. Not just some, not just a select few, but many. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then as you feel led, just come on up. If you want to grab some of the big loaf and dip it in there. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, that's totally fine. Just grab one of the cups and you can take it back to your seat and open it up. Um, just uh, take it prayerfully and, and consider how we approach our relationship with him. And may this be a reminder. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful reminder that uh, you have not only redeemed us, but you invite us to be participants in what it means to uh, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, um, that we are called to be here in this community in Oceanside and wherever you take us to be a people who love people, who represent you, Jesus, and your heart for them. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless as you just come up, feel led. Um, Grab it as you need. blessing, but may we be reminded that we can be one of the four friends. Um, we have opportunities as we go into this week to give of our lives the same way that they did, to rip the roof off in places that we need to rip the roof off, um, to do whatever it takes to um, help others experience Jesus. Um, a group of friends and I prayed for 17 years for a friend of mine that um, that came to Christ a few years ago. And in those 17 years, I didn't know like how much of that investing and that time and that prayer would ever bear fruit. But I would just encourage you, just don't give up. Like keep trying, keep investing in people's lives. 
trust God for whatever he does. Um, so rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. And let's share this comfort with one another and let's feel his presence each moment of every single day. Grace and peace.